Welcome back to Coffee and Cortisol, your PA podcast. We're coming to you today from rainy Oakland. I'm David. I'm John. And we are here today to talk to you about John's perspective and where he's coming from. And then we'll also be talking about uh, exercise and how that relates to PA school and doing it in PA school. So those of you um, that are wondering, Rosie is uh, out for a little bit with uh, some prior uh, engagements. So she will be uh, gone for, I believe, um, episode seven here, episode eight, and then episode nine as well. So um, today I have with me uh, John, who is a classmate of mine, and uh, we're going to talk about exercise. But first, John, uh, I want to kind of hear how you got into PA school and what um, your path was here. Uh, Absolutely, uh, David, and thanks for having me. Uh, Happy to be here. Yeah, my my story. So I've uh, been in medicine for a little while now, kind of took a, a couple detours on the route to get here. But I started off in undergrad at UC Davis, and I was a political science major. Well, and that's a left turn. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was, it was uh, quite a jump. So I did a lot while I was there, and I was focused on going pre as doing like the pre-law stuff. And I really thought I would end up um, as a lawyer in the p- political realm. I did internships uh, in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. And um, to be honest, I kind of like enjoyed um, my undergrad. So I didn't take it as seriously as I wish I had. Sure. Like what do you mean? Like what do you mean enjoyed? Um, Just recreationally. Let's let's just say that. Okay, that's I think that's most people, though. And it's it's tough to be serious when you don't don't entirely know what you're going to be doing. I mean, I know you said you have plans, but like everyone I feel like an undergrad kind of knows like maybe this is step one of many. Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. And so it was, I definitely wasn't thinking anything medical at the route, but um, my internships kind of gave me the experience um, thankfully to realize like I really didn't want a career in politics. So I jumped shipped after that and I went straight into a fire Academy um, over in Sacramento. Oh, yeah. Left turn. Yeah. So wait, so did you graduate with, Political science as your major. Okay, so you finished that, and then you went to um, firefighter school. I did. Okay. Yeah. Keep going. So yeah, so I did that, um, and that was, and at that point, uh, I was like completely dedicated to the route of going of becoming a firefighter. Um, I went to EMT school while I was doing that, and um, subsequently, uh, after fire got, um, I went and got my paramedics. Uh, license. And so that took a couple years. That was a, I mean, paramedic school at that time was like a year and a half program, almost similar to PA school. And it was full-time dedication. And on the weekends, I would spend those at a fire station up in Auburn. So can you, can you explain the difference between an ENT and a paramedic? Because I feel like to me, before I kind of knew what it was, like they sounded, they were like the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. So EMT, like just the the training is vastly different. Like EMT school usually takes, I think now they've got accelerated programs that are about a month long versus paramedics, which is, you know, year, year and a half. And the idea is basically BLS versus ALS with BLS, just more non-invasive medicine, um, but still very important life-saving techniques. And paramedics, you're learning a lot more um, of those invasive procedures, doing intubation, starting IV like learning all the different medications and dosages and how and when to push them. Um, and, you know, um, basically being able to treat more of those life-threatening situations out in the field um, rather than stabilize and bring them directly to the hospital. So um, I, I thought it was 
awesome. Uh, I mean, when I first started paramedic school, uh, I really honestly had wanted nothing to do with medicine. Oh, and, I was, really? and I thought about quitting because I really didn't enjoy it. But somewhere... Like what part didn't you enjoy? It just... It, well, first off, I didn't like doing IVs to begin with. Yeah. I, I, I kind of have a phobia of getting stuck myself. Okay. Um, that, that went away with time. But I just really have never really liked the medical aspect of things growing up. And I think it took a while for that to switch in me. And really, the, that was all hands-on experience. That was running 911 calls on a fire engine and being like, wow, this is really cool. And that experience changed things for me. Okay. So, uh, so then what, uh, you're going through paramedic school and now, mm -hmm. so, so when did, when did the medicine part click for you? Um, yeah, I think during paramedic school okay. and, and running those calls on the weekends, um, at the fire station, uh, as a resident firefighter and somewhere along the lines, it shifted like, okay, I'm actually less passionate about firefighting and more passionate about these medical aids because that's what we were doing 90% of the time. That's where you get to see, you know, a patient go from being worse off and like really putting their trust in you to being better off and more stable. And like, that was just super rewarding to me. Right. Immediate like feedback basically. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, so then when did you transition from paramedic to PA or how'd that go? Yeah. So from that point I was like, okay, like, yeah, maybe I can just be a medic for my life. But like, I actually really loved that concept. Um, I took a year off from everything because those were both really intense programs, fire academy and medic. And I lived in Japan for a year um, just to kind of like get some perspective and create a plan. And then the plan was either MD, nurse or PA. And so when I came back, I kind of just weighed those options. And with my background and experience in the medical field, um, PA just seemed like a much better fit for me. I didn't want to spend all those years going the MD route as well. And so I had to come back and, and do the prerequisites essentially for um, all of them, which are pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's like some minor differences is I, I know MD versus PA a little more myself, but like, you know, for those of you out there, um, like organic chemistry, like I know for a lot of schools is just you needed the single class for PA versus medical school, you need the two. Um, and that was kind of, I remember that being like kind of a important decision in your life. Cause I'm like, once I do this, like I can't do MD, like that's kind of, I've closed off that door. Um, so that was a little terrifying for me, but, um, I want to back up for a minute, Japan for a year, like explain that for a minute. Yeah. Well, actually I was really fortunate. My brother, um, was living, he had already been living out there a couple years and I was kind of, I mean, these programs, like whether it's PA, paramedic, fire, any of those really intense programs, um, they take a lot out of you. And so sometimes you just need to take a step back and take a breather. Yeah. And so at the end of all of it, I was like, okay, like I, I need a little bit of a break just for a little while. And then also they weren't really hiring in the area. Sure. Um, I think I applied for one fire position and there was several thousand applicants for like one, one position. Yeah. And um, he, my brother was out there and he was like, hey, I've got jobs for you, uh, you and your girlfriend if you want to come out at the time. And what were those jobs? Where? Uh, well, what were they? Oh, they were teaching English and okay. like junior high and elementary school. And it was it seemed really fun, like a, a yeah. really unique opportunity. So I was like, OK, I can take a where I'm at in my life. I can take a break for a year and come back to this. Yeah. So I did that to, to take that break and reevaluate. Did you feel did you do you know like Japanese now? I know a very little amount. Okay. Yeah. All right. And do you feel like you could live there pretty easily for a year without knowing 
any Japanese? I mean, the company that hired us said that we didn't need to know Japanese, but that was a, a little misleading. It, yeah. was, it was definitely a steep learning curve from the, from the moment we landed. I'm sure. I'm sure because it's not even, I mean, it's completely different. I mean, everything with that, that language, any of those uh, Asian languages are just, I mean, they're just completely foreign because they're pictographs compared to like our, you know, Roman Greco letters that's that's crazy totally but you learn so much about like how much communication like just human communication is even nonverbal. That's, that's a good point and like that translates in like to the medical field as well i mean like we yeah. you see that just on people's facial expressions and it, it's you you can really learn a lot from that too well i feel like that's a valuable skill because when you're you're looking at a patient who may not speak the same language like sometimes it takes a while for the interpreter to get there or for like the phone interpreter to come on and so you're just sitting there for a long while and it's like, well, you know, like you can gain some, some, you know, like one of our professors says, like, you need to look at your patient. And like, I feel, I feel like that's actually really kind of maybe underrated skill of being able to like read a patient, like look when they're scared, look when they're cowering, like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And then even just hand gestures, you can do a lot, you know, pointing to where the pain is. Sure. The, the thing is a lot of people are just afraid of being embarrassed, but if you can remove that aspect from it, you can still divulge information from your patients, even if you don't speak the same language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then do you feel like during your year in Japan where you weren't practicing any type of medicine, do you feel like you've lost skills or were you able to pick them back up once you, is it like riding a bike? Um, you know, I wish I could say it was that easy. Um, I would try to read things to stay current. Um, but, and, and I would try to go through old tests, um, and run through old, um, like national registry, uh, packets. But yeah, I, I do feel like I kind of like lost a little bit. But luckily, the nice thing is when I came back and once I finally did get into PA school, relearning a lot of those skills, like just, you know, refreshing over, you know, basic IVs and medications and, and uh, intubations, it, it came back really fast. So it's still there. It's just wasn't as, as dialed in as it initially was. Yeah, that uh, that makes sense. I mean, it's like it's like learning a language, too. Like you're just going to learn a lot better when you're swimming in it and not just looking at it from a distance. Absolutely. So. Okay, well, um, I think we, uh, is there anything you would really recommend for, for people going into school, like on their path to get there? I mean, um, you know, you've kind of, you're another person who's had, um, and yet coming up here, we'll have a, a, another different story, unique story. But um, I guess, what, what do you think is, is valuable to those people who are making a mid, midstream change or making a, a left turn, as we call it? Yeah, totally. Um, I think a, a lot of people end up taking the EMT route, which yeah. I think is, is a great route. And what can happen, I've seen it to a lot of people, is once they get their EMT, if they get placed on a BLS rig and they're not running those 911 calls, it can be really discouraging out there. It's just it's a difficult job to maintain a high morale in or to really see the big picture. And a lot of people lose their way on that on that route. So I think my advice to someone who's doing the EMT route is uh, just, you know, stay focused on what the goal is, why you're doing it. Um, and if you can, I always advise people to try to get 911 experience because I think that's going to be so much more rewarding if they can manage to pull that off. When you say it's demoralizing, do you mean because you're doing um, maybe not the most high acuity thing or and you're just lo losing people or, or can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's just uh, you're running calls that, yeah, are not high acuity and often BLS companies can kind of push their employees pretty hard uh, without a lot of that like background support and, and training. And sometimes 
people just kind of, I don't know. I, I always say it's soul sucking. Uh, sure. It's, it's still very important work and, and I think it's very honorable to do it, but it can, it can really eat at you. And like, you know, you come home from the end of the day and you just don't necessarily always feel great about what you did. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just keep, keep your eye on the prize. Like understand why you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. And I think it's maybe worth noting too, like with a lot of these positions, like where you were trying to get into another, the next step, like it's a stepping stone, which would be like CNA, uh, MA, ENT. Um, there's a lot of people willing to replace you that are cheap and easy to replace. And like the training isn't that difficult. Like there's, I don't know about MA so much, but I know like CNA um, doesn't take that long. It's like three months at best, like 10 weeks. Um, and, and same thing with ENT. So like, you know, kind of know your worth and know um, what you're getting into and that like, if it's easy to get, it's easy to replace. So just, just kind of know where you stand. So that's, that's just word of advice. Right. And also it's, you know, they are what you make out of it. Like these are, they're very kind of generalist positions, but you can take that and you can still learn so much more and apply that to what you're doing in those moments. And those, like, even just like knowing a little bit extra about each particular disease process is like, can still pay off in the long run. Yeah. I mean, you can show up to work, you can get your paycheck, you can just do what you're doing and call it experience, or you can try and maximize your time there. And I'm sure, you know, when you run into a paramedic or a nurse or a doctor and like you have an opportunity to learn and like do something with that instead of just, because not many people can get into a hospital. Like that's a tough thing to do and get that experience. So take advantage of that and learn from the docs. Like, like if somebody, you know, like when I was finishing up and I knew I was going to PA school, I started this, trying to listen to people's lungs which is a skill I didn't, didn't learn as a CNA from like the nurses. I'm like, show me somebody with cool lungs. And like, I try and listen. I didn't know what I was listening for, but I like, you know, just, just try and take advantage of your position. Yeah, absolutely. And when I actually, when I got back from Japan, I got, I worked on a rig for a little while and then I worked in an ER. And when I, one of the things I did when I was in the ER is I took around a, a little notebook. And then whenever the docs would take a moment to teach about a particular disease process, I would take notes. And so I was flipping through it the other day and I saw, you know, Wernicke, Korsakoff, encephalopathy, and it's talking about how you give thymine for a, you know, ETOH patient in the ER. And I was like, oh, man, we just talked about, like, toxidromes in yeah. emergency medicine, and, and, like, it was right there. Do you feel like any of that you actually maintained through school, or has that kind of just evaporated since? No, I, I feel like some of the lessons, like, I've definitely retained. Um, just And just knowing, seeing the approach of different providers has been huge but yeah I, I feel like some of it's still there okay awesome so uh let's just take a quick break to talk about um spreading this podcast around so we are still a very young podcast uh episode seven here so uh, we want you to please um like and subscribe us on social media follow us on twitter instagram facebook coffee cortisol is our handle um, you can also email us at coffeecortisol at gmail.com. Um, and don't forget to tell your friends about this podcast, have them listen, um, and just uh, try and get the word out there. Okay. And we're back. So, uh, John, we're getting into the actual meat of the episode today. So uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about um, why you think exercise is important in, in PA school? Because I always, I know it's important and I try and do it, but... Um, you know, midterms roll around. It's like, well, uh, forget that. I'm going to not fail this class, you know, and I feel like that um, even with these finals, like that are coming up in a week, I have struggled concentrating and I started running and I feel like my concentration has gone up. So uh, can you speak to that, please? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, exercise is a huge thing for me. It, I'm not going to lie. I totally agree. I think anytime you've got a major set of exams that's coming up, it is incredibly challenging to maintain that. Um, for me, I, you know, running, running and rock climbing are kind of the two things that I'm most passionate about. And I started running. I've, I've always been a runner, but, you know, the furthest I'd ever run before PA school was, I think, maybe like a half marathon. And Wait, really? Yeah. I so, thought you were always like crazy long distances. No, no. So oh, dang. yeah, PA school is like done you bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of has. So it actually started off probably in a more unhealthy way, right? I used running as an excuse to not study because I was like, okay, this is something that's healthy yeah. that I can yeah. use to avoid studying, uh, which which is probably not the best way I should have looked at it. It's funny the depths, the procrastinations people take to like, and you, and you, some people just go on the internet and just do whatever they want, and some people find more productive means to procrastinate, but there's always some type right. of procrastination you're fighting, but yeah, keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm really bad at procrastination, if I'm being <laughs> totally honest, yeah. Leave everything to the last minute. But yeah, so I, I was, running to procrastinate and then at some point I started kind of like looking into like okay well what do I what am I getting out of this how am I enjoying it and how is it benefiting me and um, I found that like it just made me a lot more centered and it relieved a lot of stress and so uh, initially I just kept increasing the distance I'd be like okay like just a few more miles and I won't have to study you know I don't have to study just yet yeah and then that kind of took me into a, a crazy place. I started getting into really long distance running. How long are we talking? Um, I mean, on the weekends I would do um, like, you know, maybe closer to 20 miles on Saturday and like 10 to 15 on Sunday. And then during the week, you know, three to 10 during the week yeah. um, for like a daily run. Which like for those of you who aren't um, in the know as much, like that's like getting towards marathon training pace. Um, I mean, towards the end of your marathon training, you tend to, uh, get close to that 26.2 mark. And so just be doing that every weekend is quite the feat. Thanks. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, to, to be honest, like I have, a, I have a, uh, one of my close friends, Chris, uh, who lives in the area. He, he's a ultra runner and even one of my mentors uh, getting into PA school, uh, he's been doing, you know, hundred mile races for years. And so I talk to people like this about like advice and they're like, Oh yeah, like 20 miles. Like that's, that's nothing. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Like I can, I can do a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but I found that with the running came a huge decrease in stress. Uh, and so that's really what I, I started to pull from it. And so even on times now where we're, you know, we're coming into our last round of, of finals, I've noticed that the higher my stress is, the difficult, the more difficult it is for me to concentrate. And so even, yeah. even just taking off for a 20, 30 minute run, like will allow me to kind of recenter and come back down and be more relaxed and you, you know, it's proven that you can't really focus as well and you can't retain as much information if you're in just that high sympathetic state. So, yeah, I think that's, that's worth saying too. And I, like one thing you said, there's 20 to 30 minutes. And I think that's like really important to note because, you know, some people, I see it at my hometown gym all the time. They'll be at the gym for like two, three hours. Like, and it's like every day it's like, like, do you just not, I mean, like, you know, probably aren't married, probably don't have a life, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> but like, and you're, you're doing that. That's fine. But you can't do that in pay school. You don't have the time. So like, even just a half an hour where you could get, you know, three miles ish in, like that's got to be great. I, oh yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah, <laughs> like weeks, like this week and like and next week, you know, when we have finals, like yeah, thirty minutes. Really, that's kind of all I'm going to allow myself to do. Um, but even that makes a huge difference. Like 
and, and my thought process is like, it doesn't really matter what time of day it is, um, but just getting something like that in, it'll just make you feel so much better about your day. Do you, when you try and run, do you do it in the morning, at night? When are your, when's your like, I'm going to do it versus I'm not going to do it times? Because um, <laughs> nighttime, like if it's like after five, it's just not going to happen for me. Yeah. Um, I've, I mean, I've come to a new like conclusion where like, I don't really have a problem with whatever time of day it is. Like I'll set my alarm early. A lot of the times I'll be like, I'm going to try to get it in the morning, but I procrastinate, sleep through it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now it's like, I, I go through for runs like at 11 o'clock at night, just put on a headlamp, like sure, just, sure. just knock it out before I go to bed if I have to. But what I've found too is a lot of these classes, you know, like even right now, you know, we got a couple hours in between a class, like you could knock out a 30 minute run and, and, in that time for sure. Yeah, I think that's important to note because you aren't in class from like eight to five every day. And if you are, find a different program because um, that's that's pretty brutal. It's a long time to sit and listen. So, I mean, and I'm sure that probably even helps with your concentration between classes to um, run or rock climb in between. So I, I think that's like maybe a little hack is you don't have to get up at 5 a.m. to go running. Just maybe find time to, or lifting or whatever exercise you do, and find time to do it. I mean, a lot of the girls in our class do, like, cycling or, like, yoga between classes. So, like, there's ample opportunities, Absolutely. I think, to, if you if you want to do it and you're committed to doing it. Yeah, and I think it's always – I think it's the hardest thing is always getting started into any of those exercise regimens. But yeah. once you do, you'll find that you always have, like, more energy and you feel better about how your day is going, too. Do you feel like running helps with your routine? Yes, I do think, um, it, I think running helps me with everything. Like it, to me, it's become a little bit more of a meditative thing where I just kind of get to shut my brain off for a little bit. Or if I'm thinking about things, it's at a much slower pace. Um, everything in PA school is just so ramped up all the time. So yeah. being able to kind of just take a moment for yourself. And what I like to do on, on runs, and it might be kind of corny, is I try to like at least find like one moment to really appreciate while I'm out there doing it. Like whether it's just, you know, the fact that I can, like my body can do this and, you know, I should be thankful and grateful for being in decent enough physical shape to be running right now. Or, you know, even the other night um, running around the city and like just seeing all the lights and it's like, man, that's, that's really pretty. Like seeing yeah. San Francisco in the distance on the bay, it's like, it's like, oh man, that's, that's kind of cool. Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, when we look at pictures of, like, necrotizing fasciitis on people's, um, like, lower limbs, you know, you do appreciate the fact that, like, not everyone can do this. And there's a lot of things that we look at, like, we were talking about craniotomies the other day, and, like, the people who have those surgeries, they're not in a good situation. Like, they're kind of, uh, they have a huge uphill battle. Um, and and so, you know, just to be able to appreciate what you can do, I think, is is valuable. Totally, yeah. Um yeah. And, and when I first got up here, you know, I used to do like exploration runs just to kind of get a feel for the area. And for me, there, I would always run, or not always, but a lot of the time there was like this bench I would stop at. And it was, it was a halfway mark because the most I really ran consistently when I first moved here was around three miles. Sure. And so I'd stop at this bench a mile and a half into my run. And it like I would go there around sunset and I would just watch like sunset over San Francisco. And I'd be like, Dang. and that's kind of nice. Like, yeah. And like just appreciate the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's talk about rock climbing a little bit because I uh, got onto that spring semester, I think. Yeah. Like March, May, something, somewhere in there. Yeah, um, you made a lot of improvements. You're, yeah, it's, um, I remember very specifically you told me like rock climbing is great and, and usually you and the other group of people who go, because um, there's a rock climbing place like five minutes away, um, 
you know, you mentioned like you're never thinking about the exam, like when you're up there climbing. Um, Cause I think, I think rock climbing in some ways is opposite of running. Cause running is just like, there's nothing but your thoughts. And so it's like clearing that way. But like with rock climbing, it's, it's almost a complete switch of mental focus because there's challenges, physical and mental to getting up to the top. So I, I want, kind of want to hear um, what do you like about rock climbing versus running? Like what's the difference? Ooh, um, yeah, it's a very different sport for sure. I think, I think running allows me to, you know, process some deeper thoughts and you know, that meditative state, but rock climbing is you, you have to be present in that moment. And it's like, it forces you to not think about anything else. Um, really, if you're focused on like how high you are up or worried about falling, you're not going to be successful. So you need to be focused on like, what is the next move in front of me? Like, you know, how do I, how do I get through the crux of this route? And it's, it's just, it's that forcing you to be so present that you are forgetting about some of the other stressors going on in your life. And then when you come back down, you're like, wow, like I, I didn't even think that was possible. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible when you like figure it out and like, you're like, that looks really tough, but then you get up there and you find a route in kind of a, a weird way and you get there, you know, mm-hmm. like that's really satisfying. Absolutely. And you're still, and you're still achieving something, you know, and that, that's got a, a good feeling that comes with it as well. True. True. That's, that's a good point. Cause that dopamine hit is, is valuable in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. Dangerous, I guess, too, with like social media and, and whatever, but yeah. Um, so is there anything else you, you feel like, uh, uh is worth mentioning with exercise? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that, if you don't mind, one of the things that runs, runs through my head with running is in, in the running culture, there's this big talk of like finding the why, like why, why are you doing this? Because running can get monotonously painful. And yeah. um, I'm sure most, most people are aware of that. Uh, <laughs> but in, in long distance running, especially in ultra running, people talk about finding your why. Why are you doing this? What is your motivation? Because eventually, you know, the cards are going to be down. You're going to be in a dark place uh, mentally, and you're going to want to know, like, you know, what is really propelling you forward? And what I've found in both kind of the reading that I've done and my personal experience has been, like, it doesn't really matter what the reason is for why you're motivating yourself, but you need to know that internally. And, like, whether it's, like you know, something like this is, this is really important to you because it's how you define yourself versus um, even if you just like want to look good for social media or, or vanity, like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You just need something to motivate you and you need to be able to hold on to that. And sometimes you need that in PA school too, is you need to know why you're here. What is your goal at the end of this? And what is your motivation? So that whenever you get into that dark place, when you feel overwhelmed by the amount of studying, you're, you've got that to hold on to. That's a that's a really good uh, thought to to bring it back to PA school where because I, I think for a lot of times um, we have external motivators and I don't think that's always the best um, best motivation like it comes it's a lot better when it's internal when it's organic and you're running because you want to run not because like you're supposed to run to be in shape or you're not in PA school because that's what your parents want you to do like you're here because you have your reasons whatever they may be and um, and if you, as long as you actually believe those reasons too, right? You know? Yeah, um, you have to be honest with yourself at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, lying to yourself doesn't really make sense. Exactly. Um, but yeah, that's that's actually some really great advice. Um, and it's in, and I also feel like running, like running, is so much like just checkpoint to checkpoint. Like, oh, like even if it's like I'm going to make it to the end of this block, I'm going to make it to the next aid station. 
Like that's all PA school is too. It's like, I'm going to make it, I'm just need to focus on making it through this test, just chunking out little sections of it. Yeah. And if you don't, if you focus on everything, it's overwhelming, but just take it one step at a time. Wow. Great advice for exercise running and, uh, and PA school. So thanks. All right, John. Well, thanks for um, being here today. We appreciate the uh, the info and and the um, you know the insight into running and school and kind of how you got here. Um, so hopefully we'll have you back soon, maybe next episode. I don't know, um, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll kind of go from there. So um, thanks for listening, everyone. This is Coffee and Cortisol, your PA podcast. Thanks so much.